0: To have a sea route to India. Why was the sea route to India important to them? Spice. Imagine spices. Bibile no joyous spices and whatever of Egypt. These guys were looking for cinnamon, garlic, ginger, all those things. When all the way to India, all that trouble. Last one. The first European to cross the African continent from the west to the east. He was also, this is Evie, the one who was the first to see the Zambezi River and to discover the Victoria Falls. Yes! David Livingstone! David Livingstone. In fact, Dr. David Livingstone! <laughs> Alright, we'll come back to that. But this, this month, we have been looking at um, trying to distinguish the truths and the untruths about the Christian uh, faith. Eh? And we are calling the series Mythbusters, right? And we've been saying it's busting popular myths about Christianity. And in the first week, we've been looking at three, we've looked at three myths so far. And so in the first week, we talked about the myth that a Christian is a person who goes to church and does good things. And what did we say? We said that a Christian is one who has surrendered his life to Christ is one who is a follower of God, submitted to his rule, and has a relationship with Jesus. That's what we say a Christian is, not somebody who goes to church. Then, we talked about in the next week, the myth of all evil and suffering in the world proves that there is no God. And what did we find? We find that evil is really the consequences of a fallen and broken world. It's because of the independence God has given us, and that we've chosen to reject God and to walk in our own way, resulting in consequences where we're able to cause trouble to one another. And the, and the brokenness that we see reveals our constant need for him. We also say that suffering is indeed where we, where we matter, we win, and God sees. And therefore, we should actually, we said what? Count it all joy when you go through suffering. And then last Sunday, I was not here, but I know that we did the one of all religions are the same. Yeah, we looked at that. myth. In fact, we said, yeah, religions are basically, that's somewhat true, because all religions are the human endeavor to reach out to God. Right? And we say that for us, um, it's only through Jesus Christ that God reaches out to us and to restore us in a proper relationship with him. And therefore, we learned that we must give up religion and go for what? for relationship. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. And so you can find these messages on our Mavuno YouTube page. If you miss them, go out and catch on them. But today, we want to look at a popular myth that is big in our continent uh, this, this time. And it says that Christianity is a Western religion. And many see Christianity as a tool for colonizers to pacify the Africans. In fact, there's this famous quote uh, uh, attributed to our first president of Kenya, Jomo Kenyatta, where we say that um, he said that when the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land, and the missionaries had the Bible. Then they taught us how to pray with our eyes closed. When we opened our eyes, they had the land, and we had the Bible. Remember that quote. So it's it's, it's seen as though That, um, you know, the Bible was used to lie to us and to steal from us. But let's get some facts straight. eh? Missionaries and colonialists all came from the same countries, from Europe. In fact, they were mostly Caucasians, Djungos. In fact, all those people we have mentioned on that list came to Africa as missionaries, right? All those are what it they came and then they saw these things that they saw. And the question then we ask is is Christianity really a Western religion? Uh, because they brought it. And here is why the conversation is important. Because if Christianity is a Western or a European notion, then the argument is as Africans, we should have nothing to do with it. In fact, increasingly, I don't know if you've seen that. There are many people who talk about, especially those among the Kikuyu going back to our roots and beginning to teach people about the God of Mount Kenya and certain things that begin to do and begin to say, oh no, that was Western, this is our God, why are you guys deceived, let's go this way. I don't know if that has happened in other communities, but that is happening a lot. And some argue that Christianity came to confuse us, so let's leave it out and go back to our roots, as it is said. We should have nothing to do with it. And so the question is, if it is, or if it is not, uh, a Western religion, then how do we respond as Africans to that whole thing? And if we leave Europe for a moment, then the thing to ask is, does Africa have anything to do with Christianity? And so the place to turn to look at this is actually the Bible, right? And we want to see how Africa is seen in the Bible. And according to biblical text, the Christian connection with Africa starts all the way in the Old Testament. And so if you go to the Old Testament, you will find Africa there, isn't it? The Israelites spent how many years in Egypt? That's where they be, they, they, the scriptures say they went as 70 people and they came out as a nation, isn't it? They were in Egypt, in Africa. And please note, and I'll be saying this later, Africa at that point, all of Africa, was mainly dark skinned people. And that changed when Islam came in, and in, I think in the seventh, uh, 6th AD, yeah, 570 AD there after that. And that's when that changed. Eh? And so you'll actually go, if you go to Egypt, you'll actually find that the pharaohs were black people, dark-skinned people. In fact, the most famous one, Tutankhamun, Kamun or someone, yeah, it's actually very dark-skinned. You know, you can actually go there and see those uh, you know, things that they have put, in, uh, the actual things in the museums, but now they don't allow people to go into the, into the uh, pyramids, but they used to, and you'd actually see that, that they were dark-skinned people, all right? And so that's Africa for you, hosting the Israelites and making them a nation. Do you know that Moses' wife, Zipporah, was a Kushite, that's Numbers 12. And Kushites were now the Africans from the Sudan and the Upper Nile region, Ethiopia and all that. Eh? So Moses' wife was actually an African. And then of course the famous one you know, Solomon interacted with the Ethiopians. Queen of Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10 made a whole trip to Israel to learn from King Solomon. And there are also numerous mentions of Africa in the Old Testament, including a prophetic word in Psalm 68 and verse 31, which talks about Africa coming out in worship. Um, in 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 the Old Testament, Africa coming out to worship as other nations as well. So there is mention of and presence of African Africans right in the Old Testament. Now, what to wait for? Let's come to the New Testament. Now we are going to. Tell me, any, I know you know them, references in the New Testament about Africa or Africans. Let's go. The Ethiopian eunuch. Eh? You know, I I knew that Phyllis would say that one. (laughs) There's the Ethiopian eunuch. And what did the Ethiopian eunuch do? Philip, led by the Holy Spirit, comes alongside the chariot and sees him reading Isaiah 53. He invites him to read with him. And Philip explains the scriptures to him, and he says, why, there's water here, why don't I get baptized? He's baptized and goes back to his country and takes the gospel there, and that's why we have eventual establishments of, uh, of, of kingdoms there, or even of religions that we'll refer to shortly. That's one. The other one you said is what? Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene, what did he do? Helped Jesus carry the cross. Okay, so he's walking along, and the Romans grab him and tell him "beba musalaba," and he carries it. And Cyrene is again a place in Africa towards the north, and you'll find that in. Um, uh, let me just give you the reference for Simon the Cy- Cy- Cyrene. I- in the Bible, you find it in the Bible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the one for the Ethiopian eunuch is just Acts. Acts, if if David uh, uh, will go there, Acts chapter eight. It says, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road and the desert town, and so on, and the story is there. And that's often, um, you know, the high-ranking African official, and he was able to, to go to the knee. Then, Mark 15, 21, that's the first one, Devi. It's a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing on his way, and then they grabbed him. Eh? Note, he was also the father of Alexander and Rufus. These were people who were known in the church, in the early church, who are Africans, but who are leaders, so that it doesn't, you know, when people are mentioned like that in the New Testament, it's like we know those people, you don't need to explain. So, they're, they're, that was the, the presence of Africans in that situation, and I, like I said, Cyrene is in the north of Africa. He helped Jesus to carry the cross. Any, any other reference, guys? Uh-huh. Right. Excellent. That's in the Old Testament, another reference to where Africa comes in to praise. Thank you, Carol. Hey, that's deep, eh? Kuna atu soma Zechariah? Eh, Zephaniah. Okay. Okay, Zephaniah. Ata Zechariah Ni, 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 Another reference from the New Testament, people. Let's see. Now the, the obvious ones are going. Okay. Maybe these ones are not very obvious, but you'll also find on the day of Pentecost, you know, Dr. Luke records on the day of Pentecost that there were many nationalities that were around that were amazed and perturbed to hear their languages spoken. And listen to the list. It says there were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya, and Cyrene, all right, near Cyrene. So you can see that, and then goes on to Jews and converts from all places, eh? and they were asking each other, what does this mean? So they were actually present to witness the actual day of Pentecost. So that's important because Africa was there. And then the other reference, the other last two references I have, is in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, it talks about... Um, the persecution breaking out after Stephen was killed and how people spread out. And they went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among, only among Jews. Eh? Then some of them, however, there were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, so whenever you see Cyrene, you know that's Africa, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them about the good news about the Lord Jesus. Right? The Lord was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now you'll notice, these are men and people from Africa, including Africa, coming to Antioch and being the first to do what? To speak to the Greeks. So essentially, you know, Greeks are European, eh? so essentially the Africans were among the first ones to pass the gospel to, the, to among the first Europeans in that sense, because Greeks came from Europe, isn't it? And that was in a place called Antioch. Antioch is in the present-day Turkey. Isn't that something? Yeah? Then now we come to Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, and it's in the church of Antioch. And you know that famous description in Antioch where the leaders came together to pray? And as I was praying, the Lord says, separate from me, Paul and Barnabas. Remember that? And these were the leaders who were praying. There were Barnabas, Simeon called Nijah, Lucius of where, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the and Saul. Now this was an extremely influential church, eh? and you can see there was an interracial team right at the top. And so the Sam, Simon called Nijah and Lucius was Irene were actually both Africans. Okay, um, especially that Nijia, uh component. Eh? So you can see that scripture records that Africans were right there in the ground zero of the launch of the church, all right? Perhaps even way before the, the Europeans as we know it. But also there's early church history. If you go into early church history, it has some interesting things to say about Christianity and Africa. For instance, do you know that history has it that Saint Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark went from Jerusalem to Alexandria in Egypt around 60 AD, and then from there helped to spread the gospel into Carthage and into Ethiopia, okay? And so by the time the message is getting to, you know, the the Brits who came to us, it was really way centuries before already in Africa. And then in the 4th century AD, there was the Ethiopian king known as Ezana, who made Christianity official religion for the kingdom. This is in Ethiopia, right? And this is at the same time, around the same time when Constantine, as you know it, was making Christianity the official uh, faith or religion for Rome, right? Around about the same time. What were it for for? You must have remember this kingdom called Aksum. Kutoka Kisum, Aksum. anyway. So Aksum, if I I remember that from my history somewhere, who who remembers that? Lois remembers that, yes. Thank you, Lois, that means all these generations between me and Hamas should have heard about Aksum. Okay, Aksum also officially declared Christianity as official religion around about the same fourth century. eh? And by the sixth century, Nubian kingdoms in in Sudan uh, had already done that. eh? Some were called Nobatia, Makuria, and Alodia. All of them did this. And so there were Christian kingdoms in Africa way, way before the Europeans came later in the 18th and the 19th century. 18th century, okay? And then even more striking is that we have famous Christian African theologians who had a huge influence in the development of our doctrine and theology, as we know it, its names like Tatulian. For those who are historians, you know this name: Papetua, Felicity, Clement of Alexandria, Origen of Alexandria, Cyprian, Athanasius. I think we have had, but you have certainly heard of Augustine of Hippo. You have you heard of Augustine? Yeah, Saint Augustine. He was actually an African, and he Augustine is actually credited as a person who helped to develop the theology of the original sin. You know, the fact that the fall, we became rebellious, and right from Adam, that is the heritage we receive, and so we are fallen from God. That is what St. Augustine developed that. And also the doctrine of the Trinity, that we have God in three persons, one but in three persons, one God but in three persons. And so even his teachings on salvation and grace were very influential to the church when the Protestants came in the 16th century later. In fact, theologians consider him to be the most influential uh, theologian after St. Paul, as far as the Christian doctrine is concerned. That's Augustine, uh, your fellow African. So in the 7th century, like I said earlier, Northern Africa, Christianity retreated because of Islam. There was a move by... uh, I think it was the Ottoman uh, Empire. Okay, the move of Christianity, and that led to a lot of Christians fleeing and and running away from the north. And those who stayed, for instance, you will hear out there is the Orthodox Church. You know, you have the Eastern Orthodox Church of Alexandria, still present. You have the Coptic Orthodox Church, still in Egypt to this day. And then you also, of course, have the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, uh, which remained around Ethiopia. And so even with those changes, we still have that presence of Christianity in those places where really the Europeans didn't go at all. Okay? That's the that's point there. And the interesting thing is that uh, many of us have grown up with the idea also that Jesus was a blonde haired, blue eyed, uh, uh, white skinned Flowing hair, kind of person, eh? That is Brad Pitt. Now, now, our fans want to appear. But he was—he was actually a man from the Middle East, eh? So he was had brown skin. He had dark hairs. He had certainly not did not have that blonde, white, you know, Scandinavian skin. But BBC uh, did an article on this and concluded that he probably looked more like that image. So whenever you see Jesus in the, in the movies, that's what you should be translating it with. I can see some guys are being crushed. <laughs> yeah, That's how he probably looked. And, 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 and to know that he was actually... In fact, if, if you look at the, the scriptures, actually, eh, in Isaiah 53, you know it says Jesus was not cute. If you read there, he was what? So See, no beauty that would behold him, isn't it? He was disfigured. He was all that. Eh? So please take that even to be a bit. sura kidogo Jesus. <laughs> People don't want to destroy their images. kuomba, Ataki kuwa But that's how he looked. But that tells you just how much of... Um, Uh, misinformation, let me call it that, that we have received and accepted as the thing that is is that way. So if Christianity is not a Western religion, then whose religion is Christianity? And I don't say that the Bible teaches that God is a God of the whole earth. I liked one of our children here that read one of my favorite scriptures that says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, you know? The world and all who live in it. God is a God of the entire world, and now for a more familiar scripture, eight four four, John three sixteen. For God to love the world, highlight the world every time that He gave His only Son, so that whoever will not perish, but have eternal life. And then it goes on this one that you won't not memorize there. For God did not send His Son into the to condemn the. But to save the, uh, work with me, tafadali. I knew how to. Let's start again. For God did not send His Son into the, to condemn the, but to save the, through Him. So He's a God of, the whole earth, and, that's what uh, the faith is about. And if there's something unique about the gospel, it's the fact that it teaches that God is a God of the whole earth. Anyone who believes in Him. To to all who believed in this, he gave the right to become children of God. That's a powerful message of Scripture. Now, let's look at a story of Paul, uh, just to try and deepen this a bit, when he was visiting the ancient city of Athens. You know that story. Uh, It's in Acts chapter 17. We'll be going there soon. But um, Athens was like the capital of knowledge in the world at that point. That's where ideas were coming in. That's where Everybody wanted to bring the new ideas. And as Paul was touring that city, he noticed so many idols, all manner of kinds. In fact, historians say there were about 30,000 idols in that city alone. But they were so keen to cover all idols that eventually they even put an altar to a god that they say is to an unknown god. Just in case we don't have everyone, Wale and Jui, let's take care of them, It's covered here. And they had this habit of always listening to great ideas. They had the Areopagus, a place where you just go and sit and listen to ideas. It's a bit like TED Talks, eh? Quana <laughs> well, TED Talks. Like a TED Talk, like incyclwa, virtual, you go there physically and do that. And this is how it went in Acts chapter 17, and we read. And it says that Paul then stood this is Acts chapter 17 and verse 22. In the meeting, so they'd had him talking about things and said, ah, let's invite this guy. He has some interesting ideas. Let's send them to him. So he came to the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an anota with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing we, you worship." And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So you're ignorant. And I know, God, you're ignorant of the God that you're worshipping. You're worshiping The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and the earth and does not need to live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So even we we were in Africa, that was marked out for us by the Lord. eh? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he himself is not far away from any of us. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but he now commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him up from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, Some of them sneered. But others said, "Hmm, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman called Damaris, and a number of others. And so you see that when Paul came here, he did not criticize, right? He comes into this, he did not criticize, but he began by affirming something good about them. I can see you're very religious, All Right? Starts with a, with a good thing. And that's awesome, isn't it? Then he listened to them and understood their culture, All right? He, he could see their brokenness, their empty worship of idols. He could also see their hunger for God that made them very religious. And so this became the starting points for him. He eventually goes to the place where, you know, because they've said, let's have an unknown God, Paul begins from that point and says, let me show you who this unknown God is that you've been worshiping, who he really is. And he used their in, in, in situation as an introduction to the good news. You see, God created all humanity. And in every culture, there are traces of beauty. There are traces of good things in every culture that reflect God's nature. But because of our human sinfulness, there's also idols in every culture that reflect our own brokenness. So the goodness of God reflects in the culture in some beauty, but also our brokenness is also uh, reflected in every culture in a certain way. And it's usually the idols of brokenness in our culture, that are easier to see than the beauty of God. So that even if I asked you about our culture, we'll be like, oh yeah, corruption, you know, terrible, ethnicity, uh, hedonism, lust, you know, kupendaraha, nakunua, and lust. And those are the things that we can easily see from what we'd call a Kenyan culture, right? But it takes some patient observation and listening to be able to find the beautiful things that are the starting point for the gospel in every place that you go. And so where we, wherever we go, God has already gone ahead of us in those cultures and has those things in it that would be good starting points for us to um, to, to have a platform to begin the gospel. And that's what Paul was doing in, the, in Athens. And that's what I want us to look at. Because when the missionaries came to Africa, and the fact is, they are the ones who came into these regions to bring the gospel. They came, and for instance, the approach they took was like names. They came and rubbished our names, isn't it? And so, for some time, especially as I'm growing up, whenever you asked your name, you'd be asked, "What's your Christian name?" Yeah, and your Christian name was probably now those Western names, which were now meant an English name, isn't it? Edward. Or uh, Christopher, <laughs> eh? or Benson. Yeah, that's what you'd say as your, as your, as your Christian name. Somehow, because those names are perhaps more spiritual than a Hadi or a Tieno, you know, or Kimutai, Kimutai ukwapi. That's one of the things that they did, eh? and and so it. Caused, and, and the other one, there may several ones, but the other one is also something like rites of passage, which we're trying to reintegrate when you talk about tropes in our church today. That African contexts had social order that was established through the rites of passage. You know, you had a point at which children were instructed on what it meant to be adults, and they went through experiences and teachings and instruction that would help him to do that, and that created some social order and people helping to know their space, but the missionary came and rubbished that in total. And so, what happened then is that instead of showing the beautiful things, these as beautiful things that held the society together, they just began to demonize them. And so, for that reason, then what they brought was seen as Western and foreign because ours was pushed out and they theirs was imposed. And so it was always felt like it was never ours. And and somehow this is not what Paul does but I have to say that's, that's something that is very common with, with us as individuals, as people. Even us sometimes to tendaoko ocha, we see the way the church is doing their things with their drums and you're like yeah? It's shao. And yet, even in those or even go to other churches and you say, ah, Sisi Mavuno we are not like that. We are lit. Sindio. Even our green chairs, anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> you you say you, you sort of look at others as though how jetoshamboga. Or like they're not. And yet, even when you go to the most litigious is it not litigious Not litigious. litigious church, you will still find the Lord there in some aspects of the things they do. And so I believe strongly whenever you go into a fellowship of believers, forget those culture, because I mean we all have different cultures. I can't go to church like this. I'd have to be in a suit or something. Yeah? So, irrespective of those things, we should look out for those elements of God's presence there and use those as points of connection with other brethren and other people in other places. Amen? So look at Paul's example. You know, the interesting thing in the entire sermon by Paul is that he did not quote any scriptures. They would have meant nothing for these guys, isn't it? He did not quote any scriptures. In fact, what he does is to quote their own poets. It's to quote their own Proverbs. For the one that he says, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Those were famous words by poets of that point. In fact, attributed to a guy called Epimedes, one of their philosophers. Even that saying that we are his offspring. You see, he's quoting their philosophers. He's not quoting the scriptures. Because he's beginning with the points of connection that they have. And those, were, those quotes, by the way, were quotes about their Greek gods. All right? They are the holy things. They are quotes by Greek gods. In fact, maybe in the Islando when I grew up, and if you come, it says, Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Yeah. How are we? How are we? How are we? Because none of them can understand. The none. Eh? Ah we stand aside and look anyway. So I mean that's that's Reggae Squeeze or Bob Mali eh? so, uh, yeah. Redemption songs was all I ever had. Songs of freedom. Ah anyway, watch a toachy kanisa. No, because those those are like Prophets of our time. Even I mean, maybe right now there's somebody will quote Beyonce on something, but that makes sense, yeah. And and because Redemption is really a very good like summary of here's my legacy, and this is what I stood for, and I stood for freedom, and that's something that you can use. Ukiyonge freedom inakwagani, nona. Anyonyo ni watu mafuno All right. But Paul was not afraid to use the language, yeah? And the cultural things at that time that were familiar with the people. And he used those ones then to bring about and to share the good news. And as a result, as we can see, there are people that from that forum turned to the faith and believed, yeah? And he says again in verse 26 and 7, you know, he goes on to say, from one man, and I think we read that earlier. And then he goes, God did not do that. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from us. And so, so what, God, what Paul is saying here is that God made all peoples and cultures uniquely so that they might find him. Okay? No? That's what it says there. Uh, he, he, he marked out the appointed times in history so that we who are right now in history, it's God's marking out. Even the boundaries that we're in Africa and our lands, and specifically Kenya and maybe even Nairobi, God has done that so that you who is here might seek him and find him. Yeah, Reach out to him and find him because he's not far from any one of us. So that's what Paul is saying. So God made all cultures and wants people in each culture to encounter him. And so the gospel is not about accepting Western culture or even Jewish culture or even African culture, God is already at work in our culture. And helping people to see Jesus is God and an answer to every aspiration of the human culture is what we should be seeking to do, right? Bringing to ensure that even for your culture, Jesus is the way to go. And so it doesn't really matter where you come from. We are all invited to a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus, and the incredible thing is about that he doesn't expect you to change your culture. He doesn't expect you to change how you dress. He doesn't expect you uh, to change who you are. He asks you to come how you, how you are. Not your last name, not the way you speak, not even the way you, he accepts you as you are and for who you are. And so remember that we are created unique in order to experience him in a way that is truly unique for us and to us. And so let's let's not let cultural barriers, religious barriers, um, style and thing barriers come between us and the way of Jesus, of truly experiencing Jesus' unconditional love. So we should remember again, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. It's about relationship. And so even for you here in Mavuno at this time, God has brought you here. So that perhaps you might seek out, seek him out, find him. Reach out to him and find him. And this time we're we're, we're closing our, our series on the Mythbusters. And you know the scriptures say that Satan uses certain things to blind people from seeing the truth of the gospel so that they do not accept God. And for me my question is, if there's any myth you have believed or allowed to blind you from the truth of God in our lives, then it is important that we ask God to forgive us and to cleanse us and to shift us that we may begin to see him as he is. And so I'd like to pray for anyone here. Um, Maybe even just to ask that we pray and ask God to forgive us. Ask God to Help shift us to seeing the truth of his word in our context. And if there's anyone who would like to say, I have finally understood, I have finally understood the truth of God's word with regard to who a Christian is, with regard to uh, what suffering is about, with regard to the religions that are there, and even with regard to that Christianity is truly uh, The faith is something for Africans, then I'd like to just ask that we take some time and pray and invite God in our lives if we haven't. So let's take a minute and just ask the Lord to search your heart and see if there's anything of these things that we've spoken about in this month that have limited your sight of accepting God's truth in your life. Father, I ask this morning as we bow before your throne that you, O God, would touch our hearts. See if there be any wicked, any blinding, any myth that we have taken that has caused us not to see the reality of the gospel and the truth of who we are in you, O God. Rebuke Satan. He who blinds us your truth this morning that the reality of who you are may dawn in our hearts i don't know if there's anyone here who would say i'd like to give my life to jesus surrender to him because i've understood his love for me if there's such a person i just like you to lift up your hand Ask Lord, that for each of us, your word would come alive in every aspect. And even when we have challenges in sharing with other people, the things that we have understood help us to be able to present them similarly in contexts where we are challenged about our faith. But I ask that the truth of your word would be real in our hearts, that our excitement would be and joy would be just. You know, yes, true, but also one that is, um, you know, attractive to others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want us to conclude the service by doing something together. As we've said, we've concluded this series. And beginning next week, we will be doing the series on X Factor about how the Holy Spirit can empower and superpower your life. So come and bring a friend next month. Eh? It's an exciting um, series, I believe. And we will actually be delving into, I know the Holy Spirit is always seen as a single, he's always seen as, in fact, sometimes we say it and not he, because of the, the, the kind of uh, attachment to power and so on. Yeah. So bring a friend. So we'll conclude this service by reading together the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is a familiar thing that we've done in other places. But the one thing we may not know is that the creed developed 1,700 years ago was actually crafted and defended by an African. It was called uh, Athanasius, the one I referred to, um, and along with other African theologians. And this is something that uh, has, has been used over the years by believers everywhere as a proclamation of the faith. And Africans were saying this 500 years before. We, we, we are familiar with now what came as, as the faith. And so the creed, as we'll be doing it, just wanted to highlight that it comes to a place where it's saying the Holy Catholic Church. Eh? And to say that the reference to that is not the Roman Catholic Church but it's Catholic Church in terms of the universal church of God. eh? So it's a body of Christ universally. That's what we refer to as a holy Catholic church, not the holy Roman Catholic church. Let's stand up together and just make this declaration out loud because it's really what we believe and it's really what is very African as well. eh? Proud of it. Alright, so we go, we believe uh, let's Let's Tukutari let's, Ongye nikamu unongelesha mungu uh, Even though he's near you <laughs> Alright, let's go We believe in one God The Father, Almighty Maker of heaven All that is seen And unseen One Lord, Jesus Amen amen that is a declaration that every believer should have and believe. Let's close the service together. So Father, we are grateful even as we have made this declaration that every word of it would sink into our spirits and into our hearts and cause us to believe and our belief will cause us to follow and our following will cause us to walk in the paths that you've created us, the wonderful plans that you have for us, a life that is the best it could ever be and so I declare that for each one this morning, this afternoon, that you'll equip us with everything we need to do every good thing. I pray for the blessing of our, of our marriages, of our relationships, of our homes. I pray for the blessing and the strengthening of the work of our hands. I pray for the establishment of your saints and of the kingdom in every place where they go. I speak, Lord, that your authority and power flows through them, flows through us, and so that in the coming week, O oh God, in every place we are in, we will know and see your glory and power, but we'll also experience your the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, and all in its charity that you desire for us. So I bless your people this morning and this afternoon with your word and with your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Remember, if you need prayer, we have opportunity to pray for you right out at the tent. Have a great week. Right. na kuna keki, make sure you talk to someone, interact with people, media team, please come, we pray together. Tuombe kwanza keki. Keki Sante. Need you bunny, baba hitaka ni banewa wa hakika hakika